This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. These are the things that we need to understand. We need to know these things as believers. You, if you claim the name of Christ today, you need to understand, you need to know, you need to be well acquainted with these facts that through faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, as He died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for sin, He was buried, then He rose again on the third day to a fully resurrected life. Pastor David will remind us today of the hope we have in Jesus. First of all, we have to remember where we came from. We were born with a sin disease. We were lost and dying. But because of what our Messiah did, we can now spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. How wonderful. Because of God's love for us, He's made a way for us to be forgiven. Shouldn't we go out and boldly share this message of hope with others? Shouldn't they know about the joy that resides in us? Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3, for part one of our message entitled, Contend Earnestly. Well, here we are in Jude, and Jude is going to be warning the church that there were going to be those that would come into the fellowship, and they would come in to destroy the church for their own benefit. Can you imagine Someone with that kind of an attitude, that kind of a nature, that they'd be willing to destroy the work of God, be willing to destroy the people of God, simply to put themselves in some temporary place of power, some temporary place of uh, authority, a place where people would listen to them. These that come in that way, they can sound so right and Often they'll bring in a multitude of scripture passages to back up what they're saying because after all they, they are working with a body of believers and as they bring in so many scripture passages the problem is is often it's out of the context of the entirety of scripture and it truly misses the mind and the heart of God as they bring in these false teachings and these false doctrines. Verse 3 tells us that Jude had to make an abrupt change of direction as he was preparing to write out to the churches. Listen to verse 3 as we look at this this morning. Jude writes, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That first portion of verse 3 there, if you read uh, the New Living Translation, they write it out this way. So he says, Dear friends, I have eagerly, I was eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. That was the 
purpose of Jude. And I can just imagine Jude, here he is as a church leader at that time, one that uh, many looked up to as we've shared earlier on in this, Jude being the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, and yet at the same time he's not taking that as, as his moniker, he's taking the fact that no, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and he cares about the body of Christ, he cares about the church. And he was sitting down simply to write a letter of encouragement to the church. He wanted to share with them the blessing of of knowing Christ, the joy of the fellowships of the saints together. And yet it would seem that by uh, the statement that he writes there, as he's preparing to write, as he's going through that thought process, something happens. Either a, a message comes or in some way he finds that there's these certain situations that are going on within the body of the church at that point in time. And as he finds out these problems, he realizes, I need to change directions. This isn't going to be just a letter of encouragement. This is going to be a letter of dire warning. It's a great joy being a pastor, to be able to have the opportunity not only to stand before the fellowship, to be able to to preach and to teach the Word of God and and to have that aspect of it, but even the very fact of uh, growing in the understanding of of, and seeing individuals coming to the Lord, uh, seeing changed lives taking place, uh, people rededicating their lives after they've wandered away from the Lord. What a joy that is to be a part of that, rather directly a part or just seeing it happen as the Holy Spirit works and moves in people's lives. As pastors, we love to be able to hear how individuals are growing in that grace and in that knowledge of the Lord. They're maturing in their faith. I, we love to be able to hear how the Word of God is finally coming alive to them. How great it is to be able to hear somebody say, you know, Pastor, over these last several months or over this last year or two years, man, the Word of God has suddenly just taken on a whole new aspect in my life. I read it now and, and it comes alive. It's nothing like it was. It's not just dead words on, on dead trees that have been pressed into a book. No, now they're alive and it's coming to me. And, and that's a blessing for a pastor to be able to hear how God is moving, how the Holy Spirit is moving and ministering to individuals. Even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of situations within lives, it seems like on the outside everything is falling apart. But to be able to see individuals that still have an inner peace, a faith, a strength of God that that allows them to be able to continue on, to be able to stand firm in their faith. These are the good times. These are the times when we see individuals reconciled together. We see families reunited. We see faith restored. But the unfortunate thing is we, as pastors, we deal, because we're part of it too, we deal with fallen humanity, don't we? So it's not always good news. It's not always the easy stuff that we deal with. Sometimes uh, some of the most troubling things uh, come into, again, the, the work of the ministry within the body of Christ. And some of the most troubling, some of the most concerning for me as a pastor, when we hear of individuals or certain teachings that come into the body of Christ, particularly into the local fellowship, that suddenly within that body, within individual lives or within families, stress comes because of these false teachings, or doubt comes, or there's an instability that that comes 
among the flock of God because of these false teachings. And I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you've ever caught this or not. But sheep are easily startled. Okay, That's true not only in the four-legged sheep, but it's also true in the two-legged sheep. The sheep are easily frightened. They can easily be led astray. And that's why I feel there's such an urgency in what Jude is writing to the church. The New English Bible states it this way. He writes, I was fully engaged in writing to you about our salvation when it became urgently necessary to write you at once. You see, there's an urgency in in Jude's writing here that just by a casual reading, you may miss. But, beloved, don't miss it. Because for Jude, it was something that was very important that was going on within the body of Christ. Suddenly, very dramatically, there's this abrupt change of course in Jude's writing and in Jude's thought process as he desires to minister to the church. We don't know what particular event took place. We don't know of any particular individuals that were troubling the church at that particular time, but we do know that it's caught Jude's attention, and so Jude quickly gets to the point of his letter. He says, I have found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now again, if you write in your Bible, and I highly encourage you to write in your Bible. If your Bible is too valuable to you to write in, then keep that one at home, get you another one, get you a study Bible that you can write in, because it will hopefully draw your attention back to some important areas. And some of the things, even there in verse 3, that I would suggest that you highlight, you underline, you circle, whatever it is that you need to do within your uh, memory pattern to be able to remember this. But some phrases in there. The fact that Jude said, I found it necessary. That's something that said, wow, I, I, I've got to do this. It's my responsibility to do this. He says, I found it necessary. The other one is to exhorting you. The very phrase, exhorting you. The next one is contend earnestly for the faith. And then fourthly, it was once for all delivered to the saints. This message that he's giving is so important that Jude found it necessary. In other words, it was a cause that rose above all other reasons. It was necessary for for Jude to exhort them, and that's the idea of the thought of to urge or to plead with them. That phrase, to earnestly contend, it actually comes from a word that's used uh, in, both in military conflicts as well as in sporting events, to earnestly contend. Jesus uses the same form of that word back in John, in the Gospel of John. And you don't need to go there, but I'll just tell you where it is. You can take note and look at it later. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus is speaking to Pilate after his arrest as he's standing before the time of his crucifixion. And Pilate is questioning him about this kingdom of his. And Jesus responds to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Same word form there. My servants would fight, contend earnestly, fight for. 
It's a form of the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9.25. The unfortunate thing, the New King James, I don't believe really puts it quite uh, as powerful. In the New King James, we read, everyone who competes for the prize. And that word competes, I, I know for many, if you have a competitive spirit, oh yeah, that speaks to you. But uh, I like how the King James Version in this particular verse puts it. In the King James Version, he writes, Every man that striveth for the mastery. Now that I can see, that I can understand. You're striving for this thing. That's the mindset, that's the understanding that we have. And then one more, Paul uses, uh, again, the same word in a different form, but the same idea in Ephesians chapter 6. And you remember, when we're finishing up in Ephesians, and that last portion of Ephesians chapter 6, actually in verse 12, Paul speaks that, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Same word, different form of it. Earnestly contend to fight for, to strive for, to wrestle. The root of the Greek word that's used is where we get our word, our English word, agonize. It has the meaning to struggle for. Like, again, that effort to win the battle, to win the prize. That's the idea that Jude seems to put out as he writes, contend earnestly. And it's clear that Jude's desire was that for the church, you and I, as much as the first century church, that we would strive for, that we would agonize over, that we would fight for what? The truth of the gospel message. He says, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Beloved, there is a battle going on, and you and I as believers need to understand and realize the intensity of that battle. And the unfortunate thing is, I believe that the church today is asleep in the midst of the battle. Because, number one, many don't realize there is a battle, and those that do realize a battle, only a few of them are even able to contend for the faith. Because before you can contend for the faith, before you can fight for the truth, you and I need to fully understand what it is. What are we fighting for? What is this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? Right off, I believe that we know that it deals with a common salvation. He uses that even in the same verse. It's our salvation. It's our faith. Those things that are held in common by Jude and the early church. But you know what? Not only Jude and the early church, but the church all through the ages, even up until today. We as believers holding still that same common faith, even as Jude and the early church had. It's the fullness of the message of the gospel. And we who trust that the forgiveness of our sins comes through Christ. These are the things that we need to understand. We need to know these things as believers. You, if you claim the name of Christ today, you need to understand, you need to know, you need to be well acquainted with these facts that through faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, as He died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for sin, He was buried, then He rose again on the third day to a fully resurrected life. But you need to understand that fully resurrected life. It wasn't just the spirit that rose out of the grave. He wasn't a ghost walking along. No, he had flesh that they could see, they could touch. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. It was a resurrected life that he had. 
And now he has ascended into heaven where he sits as the Son of God on the right hand of God the Father, and he ever intercedes on our behalf. Beloved, that's the gospel message. That's the hope of the gospel that you as a believer Number one, you need to know, but number two, you need to be able to explain that. You need to be able to earnestly contend for that faith that is common among all believers. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he gives a short creed. It's a, it's a declaration of the gospel. I want you to turn there, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul declares pretty much the very same thing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you what? The gospel. The gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he begins to declare the truth of the gospel. He says, For I delivered to you... First of all, that which I also received. It was a common gospel between Paul and his readers also. First of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas or by by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Some have passed away, physically died. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And then down in verse 11, he sums it up. He says, Therefore, rather it is I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the declaration of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. We see another similar statement as Paul writes to Timothy, the young pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He writes these words. He says, For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's kind of interesting when we look at of how Paul writes that to Timothy. The idea, the thought many have is perhaps even for the early church at that point of time, perhaps that was an early hymn that they would sing. And if it wasn't a hymn, it seemed that at least it was a, it was a creed or a declaration that the church would make that says, hey, this is the truth of the gospel. God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. He He was believed on in the world, and he was received up into glory. Will you trust in biblical doctrines, biblical truths? This is our common salvation that we have with with brothers and sisters all across. It's a common salvation, not not because of its level, not because of its degree. It's it's not common, well, oh yeah, it's just kind kind of a common thing. No, that's not the idea. 
It's common because it's widespread among believers of all generations, of all ages, of all ethnicities, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is the gospel hope. This is the gospel message. Beloved, this is what we take to India and declare that message. This is what we take to the middle of the darkest and emptiest and most desperate portions of third world countries. This is the message of the hope of the gospel that we declare. We have to be able to, again, be able to share that. And yet I know that within differing parts of the body of Christ, differing denominations, there's differences within them, but not in these essential things. These essential things, if they are Christian fellowships, if they are truly biblically Christian fellowships, these things cannot change. Now, they may change in how the church is administered. They may change in how they worship, their their style or their type of worship. They might have a different understanding of end times. They might have a different understanding of what the nation of Israel is all about. There may be a host of other issues that are different. But at the same time, if they hold these essentials there, then they are our brothers and our sisters. And we can have fellowship with them as brothers and sisters, even though parts of their doctrine, parts of their church decrees are a little bit different than ours. We still have this common salvation. And it was a message that was given complete. Jude says that it was given once for all. And this once for all speaks not only of the past, But I believe even more importantly, it deals with the future because it was once for all completely given. And that's why today there can be no new doctrine, whether it's given by man or given by an angel. It's the Word of God, and within that Word of God maintains the doctrines of the church. That's why today there can be no new revelation if it opposes what the Word of God declares. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak and God doesn't reveal himself in many ways. But, beloved, it's got to line up with this word. And if it does not align up with this word, then it's a false doctrine. It's a false teaching. That's why the word is so adamant about the fact. Man, test the spirits. See if they are of God or not. Uh, Again, even what Jude is warning about. That's why today there can be no new orthodoxy. And orthodoxy, again, this truth that comes about that we would say, well, this orthodoxy, this truth, this supersedes this truth here. No, it cannot be. The church, since the time of the apostles, have maintained that same orthodoxy, that common salvation. And beloved, it's here where we need to understand that what we believe matters. And it matters to the utmost. It's here that you and I, as believers of the Word of God, we need to realize that the message of the gospel is complete as it was handed down through the ages, once for all, delivered to the saints. And yet somebody's going to say, oh, but pastor, I know that through the years the the Bible has been uh, changed and rearranged and it's perverted, so there's no way that we can hope that what we have here is actually what the apostles had back there. And I would say I beg to differ with you greatly, because there is no historical document that is better affirmed 
with more evidence of the closeness of its originality than we have in the Bible that you're holding right now. There is no ancient document that we have as many copies of ancient writings as close to the original writings as we have of the Word of God. The Word of God can be tested as we try it, as we push it, as through the ages they've tried to destroy it, and yet it remains true, it remains strong, and it remains valid for you and I as believers. It's here that you and I need to remember that there's particulars in our faith that cannot be compromised. Cannot be compromised. It's here we need to hold really to that common saying, and it's been attributed to a lot of people through the ages. Some say, well, it was St. Augustine that said it. Well, it turns out it wasn't St. Augustine that said it, or St. Augustine, either way, which way you put it. Uh, Martin Luther quoted it. Richard Baxter quoted it. Many of uh, the ancients have quoted it. We really don't know exactly where it came, but the truth is, is still there, where it says that in the essentials of our faith, we need to maintain unity. That means even if they've got a different name on the church, a different denomination in the essentials of things, we can be at unity with them. In this day and age in which we live, it's easy to get distracted by everything that's going on around us. The hustle and bustle of life tends to keep us from the things that are truly important as followers of Christ. While there's simply no substitute for the personal reading of God's Word, Programs like The Open Word are huge blessings that God uses in the discipleship of countless people. We want to be sure that you're utilizing all the resources available to you. Remember, you can subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. The Open Word podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Again, for more information about the Open Word, Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, or to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Jude. That's next time on The Open Word.